Good to be with you, Crossview Church, here in our sanctuary as those watching online. It's just great to gather. So do you want your life to matter? Do you want to have impact with your life? Do you want your life to make a difference, not just now, but for eternity after you have left this earth? Do you want your life to make a difference? I think many of us struggle with that. Many of us want that to happen, and many of us are trying to figure out how we make that happen. And the passage we're going to look at today addresses that very thing of how we make sure that we're living our life the way God intended us to live. Over 100 years ago, in 1893, uh, Chicago was hosting what was called the World's Columbian Exposition. And over 21 million people in 1893 descended upon the city of Chicago. And Chicago was happy to display how it's recovered from the Chicago fire at this point. And all these people gathered. And one of the things that they were going to have is an exposition during this rally, this time, called the World's Parliament on Religion. And in the world's parliament on religion, different religious scholars were going to come and share their beliefs. And there was a pastor evangelist in the city at the time named Dwight Lyman Moody, D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody uh, transformed areas of the city by the power of God. He went into areas where kids were being sold into work and prostitution and all these things. And he brought transformation into places that were just dark and horrible and the conditions that were happening. And, And he planted churches all over the city. And there was what was called a social lift where they saw crime rates dropping and things happening because of how God was using his ministry. And so he was excited to have this exposition come to the city and he decided to put preaching points on different corners and rent a big circus tent. And some of his friends said, you're going about this the wrong way. You should get on the docket to debate some of the people coming in talking about the different religious beliefs. You should go get into the tents and in the meetings and and debate and, and speak the differences between what Christianity says and what they're saying. And this is what D.L. Moody said. He said he had a different strategy. He said, my strategy is I'm going to make Jesus Christ so attractive that people turn to him. I'm going to make Jesus Christ so attractive that people turn to him. That was his strategy. And if you're looking to make a difference in your life, a difference in your home, a difference in your work, a difference in your school, a difference with your friends, a difference with your family, this is a great way to look and adopt such a strategy. Because when Jesus is lifted high, when he is brought forth, many, many people will come to him. And when that happens, an eternal difference is made in the human heart. D.L. Moody said this is a strategy, and his strategy worked because at the end of that exposition, over 2,000 people gave their life to Jesus Christ, surrendered it all to him, and made a difference for eternity. The Apostle Paul believed this strategy as well because he knew that what people needed more than anything else was Jesus Christ. What people need more than anything else is Jesus Christ. And he sought that his ministry would be focused, his ministry would be simple, and it would be Jesus and him crucified because Jesus is sufficient enough. We're in a series called Our King where we're looking at the book of Colossians, and I want to encourage you if you have a Bible to open up to Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 29. Uh, You can look out in the app, or if you have a regular Bible, you can turn there, Colossians chapter 1. We're focusing on these five verses this morning, and in this passage, it's going to help us 
as Christians, and if you're here today and you're not, you would not consider yourself a Christian, you're kind of off the hook. You can put an ear in and listen, but if uh, you're with us in terms of giving your life to Jesus Christ, as Christians, there's no better verse that can instruct us on how to live our life in ministry. And we might, you might say, hey, I'm not in ministry, you're in ministry, but no, the Bible's very clear. If you're a Christian, you have a ministry. You have a ministry. You're called to ministry if you're a Christian. So everyone is called to that. And we, even at Crossview, we say this. We, what we want you to do is attend a service, be in a group, and have a ministry. Attend a service, be in a group, and have a ministry. Attend a service like this online or in person. Be in a group where you can discuss things of the Bible online or in person. And serve in ministry somewhere. You have to be serving if you're a believer. Because serving leads to wholeness. And it's part of, these, th- these are the things that help you grow as a Christian. And that's what we're going to be about. We're going to get into that more today. But this passage in particular is going to address the third one. How do we serve in a ministry in a way that has gospel impact? And Paul lays that out in these five verses for us this morning. We're going to look at four essentials to make an eternal difference with your life. Four essentials to have an eternal impact. The first one we see is the pain of ministry. The pain of ministry. Look at verse 24. We're just going to look at the first few words of it. Now, this is the Apostle Paul talking to this church in Colossae. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. I rejoice in my sufferings for you. That's hard for us to swallow. When we get involved in serving, it will cause pain in our lives. When we get involved in serving, it will cause hardship because of two reasons. First of all, everything in us wars against getting out of our comfort zone. We like our comfort zone. We want to stay in it. And when we push the envelope and get out of our comfort zone, it's not comfortable. That's why it's called a comfort zone. And it's difficult. It's hard. And it causes pain. But then when you get into the pain of people's lives, And you get into the hardship of people's lives, and sometimes there's misunderstandings and clashes that happen. It gets difficult, and it's painful. There's no way around it. But God still calls us to go to those places. And look what Paul says. He says, even when it hurts, even when it gets to the point of hardship and suffering, what does he do? He rejoices. Now, that's not like he puts on a fake plastic smile and says, oh, I love this pain. This is all great. No, he, he, he gets into the pain, but he says, even in the midst of pain, when you're walking through it with Jesus Christ, there's an element that can bring joy. And we're going to dive into that more, but this concept of rejoicing in sufferings is not something that's just said once in the Bible. In fact, it's said throughout the New Testament several places. Romans chapter 5, verse 3, 1 Peter 4, 13, Acts 5, 4, James 1, 2, all talk about this idea of how when you are in trials, if you pour your heart out to God and go there, you can find a comfort that can lead to joy. Not just in your heart, but in joy for the church. All of these say, these verses say, rejoice in suffering. And one of the reasons Paul grabs onto this, one of the reasons he says this is so vitally important is because he rejoices that he knows that followers of Jesus grow spiritually through personal sufferings and the growth they experience individually helps build the church corporately. 
You see, when you go through a trial and you're part of a church family like Crossview Church and you go through something difficult and as you're going through that, you're leaning on God, you're pouring your heart out to God, not perfectly, but gloriously imperfectly and you're pouring your guts out to God and your brokenness and your hardship and you're walking that out. When, you're doing, when you do that, people see that in the church and when they see that, it inspires us to live for Christ. It inspires us to grow stronger. And and Paul knew that when people live out the difficulties of life by clinging on to God, it brings a spiritual growth to not only them personally, but to the entire church. And for that, he said, I rejoice. There's something else, too. The more Paul reflects on the glory of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, the more his sufferings seem of little consequence. The more Paul focused on Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, the more his suffering seems of little consequence. Now you might say, that's impossible. My suffering is like right in my face and that's all I can think about. But if you press on and see who God is and what he did and how Jesus went to the cross to bring us into relationship with him, that we will be with him forever, that when this life is done, We have a promise that we can live forever in heaven, that you no longer have to fear death. You no longer have to look at death as a great unknown. You can see death as a doorway into eternal paradise with your Savior, that even God has the ability to change death and flip it on its ear. When you grab onto that, your sufferings will have little consequence when you know what's ahead. This tells us if we're suffering, the best thing we can do is pour our heart to God. Go to him and and get his vision for life. Get his vision for eternity. C.S. Lewis says that pain and suffering is the megaphone God uses to get Christians' attention. Because when we're in our comfort, sometimes we don't pay attention to the will of God. We don't hear the will of God. Our sin is a difficult treason against God, but in times of when things are going great, we don't really pay attention to that. But man, you touch our comfort, we're all over that. And so God allows that to come into our lives to give us a vision of what life is really all about. Let's go on in verse 24. Now Paul says something here that almost sounds blasphemous when you first read it. When you first read it, you think, wow, he, he, something's wrong there. That's not what he meant. He did not write what I think he just wrote. Because it sounds like he's about to say what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough. That something was lacking. Look at verse 24. It says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh, in my body, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. I'm completing what is lacking in what Jesus did at the cross. So it sounds like he's saying that something was lacking in the cross, but that's not what he's saying at all. Whole books for the last 2,000 years have been written on that one verse. And what Paul is saying in summary is he's saying what is lacking in the cross is the connection that the cross has with Christians who are suffering. He's saying that when you bring these two together, there's a close connection that develops between Jesus and his church when the church goes through suffering. 
When the church walks through suffering, there's this intimacy that happens between Jesus and the church. And Paul is saying, in my sufferings, I'm bringing that thing that God intended to have a link between the suffering a Christian goes through and the sufferings of Jesus on the cross. And when they come together, there's an intimacy that happens. Paul's saying through his sufferings, he's filling this close connection that is absent when the difficulties of life are absent. And when the difficulties of life come in, it puts the church on their knees to seek God, and they're brought into this connection that takes place. And that connection is the final heart of God's desire in the cross that happens the moment we experience discomfort and pain. Like I said, if we said your sin breaks the heart of God, a lot of us in this day and age just shrug that off. It's no big deal. But once you touch our comfort, then we're all over that. See, God uses that to get us to a spot to bring us closer and closer to him. So number one is the pain of ministry. Number two, we see in Paul the passion of ministry. Look at verses 25 to 27. He says, I have become its servant. I love that. He's talking about the church. He's saying, I have become the church's servant. What a great ambition. You know, you can do that even if you're not a pastor or a missionary or an apostle like Paul was here. You can be a servant to the church to help the church become all that God has intended it to be. He says, I am uh, a servant to the church. I become its servant according to God's commission. Now, here's his commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Paul is saying that his number one desire is to take this book at his time when he was writing his majority of the Old Testament, part of the New Testament, but he says, I, my ministry, my hope is to take this word that's the perfect reflection of God and make it known to you so that you know and understand what it means because Paul knows that you're never gonna understand Jesus deeply unless you understand his word. You're never gonna understand God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit deeply unless you understand what was written because the Bible says about itself it's the perfect reflection of God. It's who God is. And so Paul knew that, so he wanted, to peep, he wanted people to know and he used the Bible to do that. And then let's look at the fruit of what happened. Verse 26, I made the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for the ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. And here's that mystery he's referring to, that God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul's calling this idea of mystery, and what the mystery is is that the work of God goes in such a way that it makes a difference in the world, namely by taking two people that were diametrically opposed to each other, the Jewish people and the Gentiles, and bringing them together in the church. See, in the Old Testament day, God's chosen nation, they called it, was the Jewish people. And in the Bible, throughout the Old Testament, there's prophecies saying one day will come when God's going to do something that's going to take it from just the Jewish people into all ethnicities, to all people of the world will be able to hear that. And that one event was Jesus Christ coming to earth and going to the cross. And at that point, God's mission and heart went global. 
It was no longer just a Jewish thing. It was a thing for all ethnicities, and that's something that you and I can say amen to and, and love about because unless I'm mistaken, I don't know, I don't think there's many of us here who started in a Jewish uh, home and grew up in a Jewish way. So this is saying the fact that we're here today learning from God's word and that we have access to Jesus who gets us into heaven is a glorious thing that God did that started at the cross. And Paul is saying when that is preached, people are brought together. There are no, there could not be two groups that despised each other more when he wrote this than Jewish people and Gentiles. The Jewish people felt like they were the chosen ones. For generations, they had it right. God dealt with them. The Gentile people felt like they were the chosen ones because they, by grace, didn't have all these rules and regulations they had to live with. And now they're brought into the same church as brothers and sisters, not as Jews and Gentile. And they could do that because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And when Paul saw that happening in these churches, it wasn't clean, it wasn't easy, it wasn't perfect. There were skirmishes and back and forth and difficult times. But when he saw it start to happen, he knew that that was from God. And why did it happen? Verse 27 says, because Christ in you, the hope of glory. Because Christ in you, the hope of glory. The only thing that can make that happen is Jesus Christ. The only thing that can break down that kind of division is Jesus Christ. Now you might be sitting there saying, what does that have to do with me today? The fact that a group of Jewish people and Gentile people around 90 AD or so came into a church and were unified, what does that have to do with us right now? You're living in a time where there's probably more division that you've ever seen in your lifetime, where you live, where you work, what you watch. We live in a time of nothing but division. Do you want to make a difference with your life? you want to have an eternal impact with your life? Become an agent of reconciliation. Become an agent of unity. You know, the enemy of your soul wants to see your church divided, your home divided, your work divided, your country divided. The enemy that we call, who's Satan, Satan wants to divide everything. That's his plan, especially the church of Jesus Christ. He wants to divide the church. And you know what? He could give a rip about where you stand in the pandemic. But what he wants to do is take where you stand and say, oh, yeah, that's right. You are so right and they are so wrong. You need to proclaim that and show and then get you all worked up to the point where you destroy the church with your view of the pandemic. Don't let him do that. That's what he wants to do. And it's not just a view of the pandemic. It's a view on politics, a view on this. And we, there's all these things he tries to throw at us to bring division. You want to make an eternal difference with your life? Don't let him do that. Grab on to Christ Jesus, the hope of glory within you. When you do that, when you give your heart to Jesus Christ, when he enters into your life, all other priorities fall away. His agenda becomes your agenda. His way of life becomes your way of life. His preferences, his commands become your commands. And our hearts and those things that we want are melted into the person of Christ where all of a sudden we submit our lives to him and his agenda and his mission become our agenda and our mission. I'm not saying you can't have an opinion on things, but be careful where you place it in priority of your life. Because the priority of Jesus' church 
doing what God called it to do, reflect Jesus, and do that as one unified body, that's so much higher than some of the stuff that we give time and attention to. And God's calling us as a church to do that. Wouldn't it be amazing? I was talking with a group of people. Uh, We talked about this in our life group, and we talked about it with a group of people. Wouldn't it be amazing if people who considered Crossview Church, their church home, made a covenant of unity, where we said during this season, where it seems like everybody's at each other's throats, where we're going to come into an election soon, it's going to just ramp up. During this season, we covenant to be people of unity, especially when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ. Where if we hear people saying something that's destroying the unity of church, we're going to say something back and say, you know, lovingly, I get that you have your opinion, but there's something bigger at stake here, and we have to make sure as a church we stay united. People who covenant together, who say we're not going to allow the church of Jesus Christ to be divided like we see the world divided. What an amazing thing that would be. It wouldn't affect just this church. It would affect our world. It would affect our nation if we had that covenant of unity. Paul called it the ministry of reconciliation, bringing sinful people into relationship with the holy God. And when that happens, it changes everything. And that's what he's calling us to do. So not only is there pain in ministry, the passion of ministry, number three, there's a purpose for ministry. There's a purpose for ministry. Look at verse 28. It says, we proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That verse shakes me. That's the goal of all ministry, that you are presented before Christ when you die as fully mature. That's why Crossview Church exists. That's why we say attend a service, be in a group, have a ministry. That's why we say love God, love others, serve the world. That's why we do what we do. This is the verse that grabs my heart and says, this is why I do what I do. Because when you die and you face God, and the Bible says of Seconds after you die, you'll stand before God. And when you stand before God, it's my heart's desire and it's the leadership of this church's heart's desire that you stand before God, mature in Jesus Christ, ready to enter into the glory of heaven and spend forever with him in paradise. See, that's the purpose, that's the goal, to be presented before God. Doesn't that sound amazing? Do you want to be one who stands at the time of your death presented before God, mature in Jesus Christ? Be done with lesser things of this world. Dive into the things of God. That's what this is all about. So how did Paul do it? Well, first of all, he says he proclaimed him. He preached this gospel that says that men were, and women were created in the image of God and God wanted a relationship with him, but they rebelled against God. They broke away from him. And so they sinned and God could have nothing to do with sin because of his holiness. So there's this gap between a holy God and sinful man and someone had to fill the gap. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, And Jesus Christ came and he lived the perfect life we couldn't live. And then he went to the cross. And on the cross, he took your sin and my sin that God was fully just and right to punish upon us. Instead of punishing it and putting that on us, he punished his son Jesus on the cross. And now it gives us this amazing offer. If we surrender our lives to him and follow him, not only will he give us new life on earth, but we can spend forever with him in eternity in, in heaven instead of hell. It's a precious, precious gift that we sang about earlier. And when that happens and we grab a hold of that, it is well with our soul no matter what happens in our life. So Paul proclaimed him. 
Second, he said he would warn them. He goes on to warn them. He says, you can't live the way you used to and follow Jesus Christ. You can't have one foot in sin, this habitual sin, this willful sin, this ways of the world, and claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You can't have it. He warned them. He said, you've been transformed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You need to live as people of the kingdom of light. Does that mean you're perfect? No, but that means that your heart's ambition is to do what God wants you to do. And when you blow it, you go before him and repent, and he restores you. But there's a difference between willfully and habitually living in the ways of the world and following Jesus Christ. And he's warning them, saying, if you've given your life to Christ, don't shrink back. Don't drift away. Stay focused on that and live in his kingdom. There's an amazing woman of God, an amazing lady you need to know, named Henrietta Mears. She lived from 1890 to 1963. If you Google Henrietta Mears and just see what she did for the kingdom of God, you will be blown away. An amazing woman with an amazing godly legacy. She was, among other things, she started as a Sunday school teacher. That was her first ministry. And she never let it go. She kept that all of her days as she lived. And when she had Sunday school classes and students would come, she would consider them her church, and she shepherded them, and she cared for them. And when they drifted away from the Christian faith, when they drifted away from church, and then she'd see them again, she'd ask them a question and said, are you ready to come home? Are you ready to come home? And she said that her mission in life was to create within the hearts of human beings the home of Jesus Christ. And she was dead on because when you give your life to Christ, it says that God comes into your life, and he creates a home in your heart. And that was her mission. And Paul was warning people and saying, when you do that, never leave home. Never leave home. Finally, not only did Paul proclaim and warn, but he says here that he taught everyone. In the original language, that word everyone is listed three times. We only see it twice in the English. But it's listed three times that Jesus is for everyone, that everyone should know of the hope. Everyone should learn. He was teaching everyone with all wisdom, whether you're in church or whether you're not. He wanted everybody to know the amazing thing that Jesus Christ did. So not only is there a pain of ministry, a passion for ministry, a purpose for ministry, finally we see a power for ministry. Look at verse 29. It says, I labor for this, striving with his strength that works so powerfully within me. His strength that works so powerfully in me. Power for ministry never comes from within us. Power for ministry comes from Jesus Christ. When you start serving in ministry, ban from your mouth languages and phrases like, you got this, or you can do this. Because let me tell you, you can't. You don't got this. Ministry is too hard. Ministry requires power from God. It requires your weakness, your brokenness. That is what's an asset in ministry. When it comes to serving in ministry, weakness and brokenness is a strength that's not a weakness. It's an asset, not a liability. Because in your weakness and your strength, and you say, God, I can't do this. He says, absolutely right, you can't. But with that attitude, I will invade you. And through you, I'll give you my power to conduct the ministry I have for you. See, that's a picture of ministry that Paul had and that Paul lived out and that he wants us to live out as well. 
Paul knew he could not do ministry in his own talents, his own strengths, or his own power, that he would need God's power with inside of him. That's why he says in the beginning, the pain was so important. We see this connection between Paul's pain and God's power. Paul's pain and God's power. Paul's pain and God's power. It doesn't mean there's no work involved. To live in the power and the strength of God doesn't mean we just kick back and sit in a chair and trust him to do everything. We work. It's hard. That guy D.L. Moody that did all those amazing things in Chicago that went to those areas and brought transformation and did all that stuff, one of his favorite prayers when he went to bed was, Lord, I am so tired. Amen. Because he worked and he worked and he worked to see what God would do. The original word there for I labor is where we get the word agonize. So he said, I agonize, I work hard with all the power of God within me. D.L. Moody said it like this. He said, we work like it's all up to us and we pray like it's all up to God. When you're at home and you're a mom or a dad parenting, you work like it's all up to you and you pray like it's all up to God. When you're in your workplace, which God would call your ministry, you work like it's all up to you. You pray like it's all up to God. When you're hanging out and you're trying to figure out how do I bring the gospel to my family and friends, you work like it's all up to you and you pray like it's all up to God. We rely on his power, not our own. That lady, Henrietta Mears, I talked about, she went from being a Sunday school teacher and she went on to be a school teacher and a school principal. And when she was in a school principal, her school was unlike any other school because she saw every student as a person created by God, deeply loved by him, and wanting God wanting to be in relationship with them that would change their lives. And she so said, I'm not just a principal, I'm an agent of Jesus in the school. And that's how she looked at all of life. And she wrote this in one of her journals. She said, the greatest realization came to me when I saw that there was nothing I had to do to receive his power, but submit to Christ to allow him to control me. I said to Christ that if he wanted anything from me, that he would have to do it himself. My life was changed from that moment on. The minute she went to the cross and she said, it can no longer be me, but it has to be Christ in and through me everything changed. And the same is true for us. So I'm going to invite you to do this this week. I'm going to invite you to take this verse and to read it each day. Turn to Colossians chapter 1, 24 to 29 each day. Read through it. And then I want you to pray. I want to say, God, what do you want to show me in these verses? What do you want to show me in these verses? And then I want you to think, what is God teaching me? Read, pray, think. Read, pray, think. There's no greater time for the church of Jesus Christ to start to think than now. So many times we get a devotion, we look at the devotion, we read it, we check it off, we move on, we don't think about it. It's time to think and reflect because when you think and reflect, that's where the treasure of intimacy with God comes. That's where you sense his heart for you and bringing you close to him. Read, pray, and think. And as we do that, he will lead you and he will lead Crossview Church to be the people he called us to be. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we cannot do what you called us to do in this book in our own strength. 
And a lot of us are quick to admit that. A lot of us are quick to acknowledge that. But let us not be people who just acknowledge that, but then let us be people who take the proper action and by your grace and strength, place us at the foot of your cross. Let there be in our hearts a humility that reaches out and says, we need you. Let there be something that allows us to submit our lives to your glorious plan, your glorious purpose, and your glorious heart. God, I pray for each one of us in this room right now that the things of this world would be so ugly compared to the attractiveness of Jesus Christ and who he is. Lord, the things that we may be giving our hearts to that aren't what you're calling us to give our hearts to, would you guide our hearts, turn our hearts to be done with lesser things because in the comparison of Jesus and who he is, everything else is lesser. God, help us to, as we sang, behold you. Help us to carry you in our hearts and prioritize you and lift you up high. We need your help to do that. We ask that you help us and lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.